Thanks, Robin. Thanks for playing your fiddle today, actually. That sounds so nice to have a violin at worship, doesn't it? That was great. All right, how many of us feel like our lives are a shipwreck right now? How many? Right? Right? Arms going up all over. Maybe as massive a shipwreck as the Titanic, or maybe just like the SS Minnow. I think most of us are old enough to know the SS Minnow, right? Who's he got here? Jonathan, you know the SS Minnow? That a boy. That a boy. Here's the good news. And I think it is good news. We've been sort of exploring this theme for the last couple weeks, but if we're shipwrecked and we know it, we're in pretty good company. And we are closer to our rescue than ever before because the truly shipwrecked finally start reaching out for something beyond themselves. Jose Ortega put it this way. The man with the clear head who frees himself from fantasy and looks life in the face realizes that everything in it is problematic and feels himself lost. And this is the simple truth. To live is to feel oneself lost. Whoever accepts this has already begun to find himself, to be on firm ground. Instinctively, as do the shipwrecked, he will look around for something to which to cling. And that tragic, piercing glance, absolutely sincere, because it is a question of his salvation, will cause him to bring order to the chaos of his life. These are the only genuine ideas, the ideas of the shipwrecked. All the rest is rhetoric, posturing, farce. He who does not really feel himself lost and was, is, is without remission. That is to say, he never finds himself, never comes up against his own. Shipwreck. Maybe it's not so much a severe disaster as it is a severe mercy. <coughs> to steal a term from C.S. Lewis. See, maybe it's the mercy of awareness that we are lost and we need something. Someone outside of ourselves, other than ourselves. Brennan Manning gives this idea great treatment in one of his writings, and he helps us understand it in light of Advent. Brennan Manning says this, At Bethlehem, we find the shipwrecked, people who know they are lost, adrift in an open sea, looking for something that they can hold on to that will save them. And they find in a manger, in a barn, just the thing, a child. The question. Consider the shepherds. Let's look at a couple of people that are at Bethlehem. The shepherds. They hear this message. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That's it. In they go. No promises of wealth. No promises of security or comfort. No promises of anything except a child. But they went. Why? Because they were shipwrecked. They knew they were lost in the great sea of life. And that in this child alone, there was salvation. So they went. And in the gospel reading it said they went in haste. Haste. To grab hold of the one thing they knew could save them. Consider the wise men. We often think of these as, as royal, noble, rich, wealthy people. And, and, and maybe they were all those things, but I think they were shipwrecked. 
I think that because all they had is myths and legends, and yet they made this long, arduous journey all the way to Bethlehem. They must have been shipwrecked. What else could explain that journey except they knew their need of this child? Why else would they go? Now, contrast this with the folks in Bethlehem. Remember, I mean with the folks in Jerusalem. Re re remember that the wise men went to Jerusalem first because it was the center of everything, the center of commerce, the center of religion. They figured that if there was the Christ child might be there, but it, uh, the religious leaders told them, well, that might have happened in Bethlehem. Well, but the people in Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem. The scribes, the priests, the people in the know, the men who could explain where the Messiah was to be born and should have gone, they, they did not. They obviously weren't shipwrecked. Or at least they didn't know they were. Shipwreck, a severe mercy. It prepares us for receiving the Christ. Now, there are a couple ways to understand this. Number one, if we're not shipwrecked right now, at this moment, just wait. Just wait. Life in this world has all sorts of rocks and icebergs right below the surface, just waiting to rip holes in our boats. You know, this summer we, we were camping with uh, the Bronsons, and this campground that Dave's been going to since he was little, it's great. You, you can't drive to your site, so you either have to hike into your site with all your stuff, or you have to, uh, if, if, you, if you have a site on the water, you can, you can row it. So Dave has this, like, contest with himself where he absolutely puts everything into one canoe and him, and he, he rows it to the site. And it's quite funny, actually, because you can, can hardly see him. You just see mountains of stuff. And, I mean, this is all stuff. Some is very expensive, and some will get ruined in the water. So I didn't have that much stuff in mind. So he was leading down this tiny little river on the way in. He's like, rock there, rock there, rock there, rock. Because you can't see him the right below the surface. So we got there, and we had a good camping trip. And then on the way back, Dave's got everything back in his thing. So he's leading again, and all of a sudden, I see his canoe start going like this. He's on a rock. And I was just going, oh, this is really bad. His camera's on that canoe, everything's on. But somehow, some way, he was able to just stop. He's like this. Ah, he, you know. Anyway, sorry, Dave, I just had to. There's all sorts of rocks just waiting to dump us over, isn't there? So the good news is, Severe mercy is coming to everyone. A beautiful invitation. Yes, it often comes in nightmarish disguise, but it is an invitation nonetheless to reach out beyond ourselves towards salvation. It's beautiful. But the second way to understand this is a little easier. Instead of waiting in fear and trepidation for the nightmare to start, we recognize we're all shipwrecked all the time. Even, and perhaps most completely, when everything seems like smooth sailing. See, I think this is really what Advent's all about. Advent literally means the arrival. In Christianity, we use it to define the arrival of God and the Christ child. We also use it to define that period of time during we prepare for that arrival. We prepare for it. John said this. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. This is massive, monumental, historical, this, this statement about the birth of Christ. 
So we know that God's light is so complete, it can brighten everything, and it can dispel any darkness. But we also know what? That God is an infinitely gentle lover, right? So consider the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can come home to his own house and knocks. Who does that? That's gentle. That's humble. That's the kind of God we have. If our doors are closed and our shades are drawn, the light stays outside. It's not going to force its way in. So we have to prepare for this light to come in. That's what Advent offers us, this opportunity to prepare for this light to come in, take away our darkness. When we know we're shipwrecked, this can be easier, right? Doors are already open. Help me. Windows are already open. But when we don't, this can be hard work. Because we need to be willing to look deep into the darkness of our own souls. To recognize it. To understand it. To know it. Why? So that we'll open our windows and let the light come in. If we take the time to look deep inside, we'll know we're shipwrecked. And then we'll be like shipwrecked people reaching for a floating piece of wood. We need to know we need light if we're going to receive it, don't we? I think that's why we spend most of our time pointing out how other people need light. Prevents us from having to look inside, but Advent offers us this great opportunity to prepare, to look inside. So, no matter how painful this preparation is, I think we have to do it. Because if we don't see our own darkness, we're never going to open to the light. Sadly, here's the thing. In Christianity, we often don't do this because our religion has been reduced to this moral religion. It's this beautiful religion about God reaching to man and saving man and, and grace and beauty, but we've reduced it to this moral religion. So what happens is we're more like Santa Claus. We check our list. Oh, we're good. We're a lot better than them. Right? And so we're checking our list in our lives and we don't have any big sins. So we consider ourselves light. And then we look out there and, oh, horrible sin, horrible sin, horrible sin, dark. Light, dark. Us, them. But I, I don't think that's accurate. I think that's an incredibly slippery slope. Just because we might not have any major sins in our lives, I don't, I don't think that means we're all light. And just because someone might have a major sin in their life doesn't mean they're all dark. Now, granted, there are major symptoms and minor symptoms. I, I get that. I'm fine with that. There's a big difference between, you know, killing someone and hating someone. Jesus says they're the same. Why? Because he doesn't care about the symptoms. He cares about the disease causing the symptoms. Ask anyone that has a, a, a terminal illness. It's not the symptoms that's killing them, it's the disease. And the disease that's killing us can be summed up in one little sentence. It's all about me. It's all about me. There's the disease that's killing us. It's been killing us since the very beginning. God said, listen, just make it about each other and me. And Adam and Eve just know it had to be all about that. That's the, our story of the fall. 
And I think this is why St. Paul summed up the Christian faith this way. Seek not your own good, but the good of the others. He summed it up that way that we've been looking at. It's funny, you know, I grew up my whole life in first verse to memory, John 3.16, second, the entire chapter of Psalm 23, right? Because I got big gold stars for that in my Sunday school. And a lot of other verses I've known. Not until I was almost 50, teaching here at this beautiful community. This now is my favorite verse in the entire scripture. 1 Corinthians 10.24, I didn't even know it existed. Read Corinthians a thousand times. Never. Why would I put this in memory? I, I think this is a verse that we should all have memorized. 1 Corinthians 10.24, Seek not your own good, but that of your name. Christianity in a nutshell. When it's all about me, when that's the driving force in our lives, our soul is a very dark place, whether we want to admit it or not. We have to examine that knowledge. We have that, and acknowledge it and understand it. Because then, maybe we'll let God come. We'll let the light overcome the darkness. Here's the thing. If we're not willing to go through this exercise of preparing for Advent, what's the point? Honestly, what's the point? We're like those religious leaders who stayed in Jerusalem. Kierkegaard wrote this about those religious leaders that stayed in Jerusalem. This is as bad as if a person knows all about Christ and his teachings and his own life expresses the opposite. I wish I had that quote a few weeks ago, but you'll be hearing it again because we'll be back in Corinthians in January. That pretty much, isn't that the best summation of an entire book you've ever read? One sentence summation of 1 Corinthians. Hey Corinthians, you know all about this Jesus? Boy, your lives look nothing like it. But now, a quick and very important side note. This exploration of darkness in our own souls is not toward condemnation. It's not about self-pity. It's not about feeling worthless. Or so we run and hide from an angry God. No, that's not the point. You do that, you're going to end up in a worse place than you already are. That's another paradigm of religion that's really not healthy. What the... This is to prepare for his arrival. That's what this is for. To prepare for his arrival. But don't misunderstand that either. That does not mean clean out the house so he will dare set foot in it. There's another paradigm of religion that has gone bad for us. You know, my sister and her husband and adult kids are coming Christmas at our house and it They've never had Christmas at our house. And I think the last time we were all together in our house was probably almost 20 years ago, right? When Isabel was like one or one and a half. So we've been preparing. Which is a good thing, right? That's not how you prepare for God. That's what you do for people. Preparing for God is just knowing we need Him. See, he comes because he loves us, just the way we are. We don't need to dispel that darkness that we discover in our souls. His light does that. We just have to let him in. We simply have to open the door that he's already knocking on. Jesus said it, John said it this way, sorry. Oh, 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. There's two groups of people here. Please, this is vital to our understanding of our faith. What separates these people is not if their houses were clean or not. It's not if there was any darkness or not. It's to open the door. That's it. That's it. You know, every year at this time in the mountains of, in the mountain villages of province, France, they tell a beautiful Christmas story. It's a tradition there. It's about four peasants who went to Bethlehem to see the child. Let's see. One peasant brought eggs. Another brought bread and cheese. Another brought wine. And the fourth peasant brought nothing at all. When they arrived, the first three peasants chatted with Mary and Joseph. They told her how great she looked, how wonderful the barn looked. Joseph did a great job getting it ready for the baby. They talked about the brilliant night sky, the magnificent stars that were out. They congratulated the parents. They presented them their gifts and said, if you ever need anything, just let us know. We'll do what we can. And finally, in all this, someone said, hey, where's the fourth peasant? They looked everywhere, and they couldn't find him until someone thought to look behind the curtain that Joseph had put up to separate the manger so the baby could sleep and not have drafts and things. And there he was. He was kneeling at the manger, holding the baby, just staring in his face, saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Perhaps this is where being a Christian must begin and end. And end. See, I know everything I've said sort of sounded like a Billy Graham gospel message. That's the old paradigm. Yes, the Christian journey begins opening the door, but I think it ends opening the door too. And all the way through, we have to keep opening the door. Because being a Christian, I think, is having a profound awareness of our lostness, of our being shipwrecked, and an unrelenting, single-minded pursuit of Christ and Christ alone and holding on to him when he arrives. And while many of us know this at some level, especially like I just said, when, when we make our first move toward Christ, you know, that initial awakening to the possibility of faith in God and salvation, that understanding seems to go away as we live our lives in relative ease and we start to believe that not only are we not shipwrecked, but we're actually the captains of our own souls. But it is exactly as we grow in our faith, I'm discovering, that we need more than ever to accept our lostness, our being shipwrecked, and our need of Him. Why? Because it keeps us holding on to Him. And when we stop holding on to Christ, that's when all sorts of bad things start happening. And the world's bad enough when we complicate our own our own messes by trying to take control of them, it gets even worse. So shipwreck, like I said, I, I think it's a severe mercy. It's good news. Here's the thing. So if we're here today, and many of you put your hands up, and we're shipwrecked, know it. Understand it as an invitation to receive Christ. 
to receive this child, to be blessed. We don't have much preparation to do if we're ship prepped because we're already there. We're already crying out. We're already begging for help. Advent is for us. And I pray those of us who are shipwrecked might know the light that dispels all darkness regardless of circumstance. And that's the key, regardless of circumstance. On the other hand, if we're here today and we're not shipwrecked, that's great too. <coughs> Let's not wait for the misfortunes of life to make it clearly evident that we really are shipwrecked. Instead, prepare now. Prepare. A child is coming, and it's not any child, it's the Christ child, born for all of us. All of us who would simply receive him. And Advent is for us. And that should give us the courage to our own our own darkness, confess it, and, and let his light transform our souls. Get in there. Find those corners of our souls we refuse to go to because we don't want to clean it up. We just have to be humble enough, lost enough, shipwrecked enough to receive Him. Advent is here. The arrival is always happening. We celebrate it in our calendar year at this time. There's great reason for it. I was doing some church history and why we celebrate around this time. I, I think it's a good reason. But it's happening all the time. All the time. Let's prepare for it. Let's prepare for it the way St. Francis said to prepare for it. St. Francis said, renounce everything that is heavy. Our shipwreckedness, whatever has come into our lives, even the weight of our own sins. See only the compassion, the infinite patience and tender love of Christ. Jesus is Lord. That suffices. Your guilt and reproach disappear into the nothingness of non-attention. I love that. Even the desire for holiness is transformed into a pure and simple desire for Jesus. What a beautiful understanding of our faith. What was the title of the third song we sang today? Let all mortal flesh keep silent. Oh, if you were paying attention to that hymn, oh, that line, let all earthly pondering cease and just be still in the presence of Christ. And later on it talks about the, the, the angels covering their eyes. Oh, Advent. The desire for holiness even is transformed into a pure and simple desire for Jesus. There's a difference between moral religion and grace. We don't need to desire holiness. We need to desire Christ. He'll make us holy. The true holiness, which is about loving others, and all that other stuff that the world struggles so hard to do. <coughs> I think this is what it means to be a Christian, a pure and simple desire for Jesus. Born of a knowledge that we are shipwrecked. 
and we need a Savior. And He alone is that Savior. Perhaps as we celebrate Christmas this year together, we can all be like the shepherds. Let's go in haste to a manger and receive our salvation. Amen.